Please take your copy of God's Word or your smartphone and turn to the 23rd chapter of Matthew. And I get in trouble sometimes for being real vulnerable standing here, but, you know, we've been preaching through the entire Bible. We've been in Matthew, and I made a decision several months ago to just preach through uh, every chapter in the book of Matthew. And if you're familiar, you'll be familiar in a minute with where chapter 23 goes. Um, I really struggled with skipping over this, and not so much for you, but for me, and because it is a hard, hard passage. But there's hope, okay? There's hope. And as a result of that, all week long getting ready for today, the accuser is, has, has really been after me. I don't know if that happens to you. And as we just heard sung and as we've worshipped today, loved one, I stand in the blood of, under the blood of Jesus Christ and all is well, and I pray that's the same for you. All right, here's a hard question. How many hypocrites in the room? Raise your hand. If the person next to you did not raise their hand, raise it for them. Okay, We're all hypocrites because we're all fallen. We're born in a fallen world. And the challenge comes for us in attempting to not be hypocritical sometimes. We, become, we, we swing too hard and we become legalistic. And there's a danger in both. So I want to ask you some questions. You don't have to reply out loud here. Are you a scribe or a servant? Are you a Pharisee or a follower and a biggie? Are you a convert or a disciple? Vicki and I were in a, a very good conversation with our son Ryan and Ann over dinner a couple of weeks back, and we just talked about Ryan brought to us some things the Lord had put on his heart about the difference between a convert and a disciple. A convert is someone who has given their hearts to Christ, but that, that's it. Uh, they check the box on Sunday or they do a little devotional during the week. But a disciple goes into the hard places. And a disciple runs hard after Jesus to where there's a, there's a consciousness with a disciple that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus always on my mind. Now, it doesn't mean we live in perfection, but it does mean we strive to have a deeper relationship with him. Now, in this passage that I'm going to read here, it'll make more sense to you in just a moment. Having silenced his critics, Jesus warns the hypocritical leaders by pronouncing the most severe judgment in Scripture. It's called the seven woes of the accusations. They're a collection of criticisms of the hypocrisy of Israel's Jewish leaders. These woes reach the climax as Jesus shows the solidarity between the current Jewish leaders and their predecessors who murdered the prophets of God. So look at verse Eight with me, if you will, in chapter 23 of Matthew. Verse 8. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. So this is a call to harmony, if you're taking notes. Verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. So there's a call to harmony and there's a call to heaven. And in verse 10 is a call to himself. Watch this. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you have the call to harmony, the call to heaven, the call to himself, and the call to humility. I've shared this with you before, but I, I want to make sure we all understand this. I want to encourage you to never pray, Lord, 
humble me. The Bible says to humble yourself, right? Lord, humble me. Because what you have in mind for humility or being humbled may not be quite as clean and as gracious as what we deserve. Does that make sense? In a nutshell here we see in this whole passage, so chapter 23, the the woes that Jesus pronounced on the self-righteous, unrighteous Pharisees and scribes. I can't prove this, I don't think I can, but, but it's been, I've read a couple of different places that what happened in the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God wasn't taking a nap, he wasn't, uh, he was very, very, very active, but in that silence of a prophet or in that, that time of waiting for Messiah, I think the Pharisees got a little on the edge a little bit, and they just started taking uh, some of God's commandments and laws, and they nuanced it even more. To where it fit them. And to where they could impose these on their people. But I want to read the woes to you. Or or just give you an update. Look into this. Verse 13. This is one of the woes. They kept people out of God's kingdom. And we all do need to do self-examination on this by the way. They kept people out of God's kingdom. Verse 14. They took advantage of widows. Verse 15. They misled men into eternal destruction. 16 through 22. They're covetous of worldly things verse 23 and 24 they refused to show compassion verse 25 through 28 they were inwardly corrupt verses 29 through 31 they afflicted the righteous so what is a scribe and what is a pharisee A scribe, of course, is a a group of Jewish leaders who flourished from the time of the exile until the destruction of the Jewish state by Titus in 70 AD. Originally, their name, which translates writers, a scribe is a writer, was used merely for clerks whose function was to copy royal and sacred manuscripts. And because these scribes depended on the wealthy for their training and their positions, they were loyal to the chief priests and leaders. So that's a scribe. A Pharisee, what is a Pharisee? Very important. A Jewish leader distinguished by strict observance of the traditional and written law and who commonly held the pretensions of superior sanctity. Simply a self-righteous person, a hypocrite. So what does the word or name hypocrite, what does it mean? It comes from the Greek word Hippocrates, which it means literally an actor. God is in the details, by the way. It means an actor. It literally translates as an interpreter from underneath. And you've seen the Greek mask before, probably. And the actor spoke from underneath his mask. So a hypocrite is a person who pretends to have beliefs or practices which he does not actually possess. Are y'all with me? Very important. Henry Hine said this, and I hope I can say it without messing it up. Be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. Be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. All of us in the South can understand this perfectly well, can't we? Very true here. So, I want, so, if you, so are you a, a Pharisee or a Jesus follower? It's going to take a couple of Sundays to work through this passage. This is the heavy lifting this week, and then again within the next couple of weeks, I'll be back to kind of tie a bow in this and and talk about the hope that we have in Jesus with hypocrisy. 
So first of all, Pharisee or scribe expects recognition. Everybody needs affirmation, but they expect and need constant recognition. Verse five, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Phylacteries, what in the world is this? We've talked about this before. Some Jews took Deuteronomy 11:18, and this is a key thing here. Of course, we should obey God's word, but they took it to prideful extremes. Listen to Deuteronomy 11:18. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them on your hand as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. If you've ever traveled to Israel, we did this uh, almost three years ago now. Uh, we would run into Orthodox Jews and other Jewish boys. And, and men that would have the leather box here. And then they would have tied around. We, we, we saw all of that. They designed small leather boxes containing small pieces of parchment with four specific scripture passages written on them that they wore on their foreheads and on their arms. So you have the phylacteries. They just want, they just want attention. They need recognition. Then you have the fringes and the tassels, okay? The fringes and the tassels. Verse uh, the, the second part of, chapter, of verse 5, and enlarge their borders of their garments. Are you all with me? I told you we're going to dive down deep for a little bit. Fringes or tassels were a symbol of piety. It's based on Deuteronomy twenty-two twelve. You shall make tassels on the four corners of the clothing which, with which you cover yourself. But here's an important caveat. Even Jesus wore fringes on his garment. Rob, how do you know that? You remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood. She reached out and touched the hem, the fringes of his garment. Here's where the problem came about when the scribes and Pharisees, they began to make their tassels longer and longer in order to outdo someone else. Does that sound familiar to anything? I'm going to get me a bigger car. I'm going to get me uh, a bigger house. I'm going to get me this. I'm going to get me that. And it just boils down to nasty old pride. Matthew records another example of pharisaical hypocrisy. In, in Matthew 6, 2, listen to this. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Wait a minute. You mean there were people alive and the religious leaders literally would walk into the synagogue, but before they walked in, somebody with a trumpet announced them entering. I'm going to try that next Sunday. I'm, 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 going, to just, I'm going to just see what happens. Uh, don't throw anything at me. But can you imagine how inflated and self-righteous and how completely lacking self-awareness? So you have phylacteries, you have tassels and fringes, and in verse 7, you have loud greetings. Also, you see there that they want and expect this recognition. Chapter 23, verse 7, greetings in the marketplace and be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. And they wanted it to be loud, oh, rabbi, rabbi. Just for two weeks, do that when you see me, okay, just to, just to make me feel better. Just kidding. Can you imagine how inflated that would make a person? So a, a, a Pharisee and a scribe, they expect recognition. And secondly, a Pharisee and a scribe desires honor. Verse 6 and 7, these scribes and Pharisees loved it when others would honor them, as we've read, by calling them rabbi or instructor or even father. There was nothing inherently wrong with, 
being called those titles. And it's important to note that the Bible actually commands us to give in respect and honor to whom respect and honor is due. But when anyone desires and seeks and clamors for that kind of honor, there's a problem. So first of all, rabbi, teacher, reverend, or doctor. Um, I served with a, a number of years ago on staff at a church uh, with a gentleman that we were talking about, uh, his PhD that he, he had finished up uh, at seminary. And uh, he was talking about he had had it for a couple of years uh, and his family uh, he told us in a staff meeting one day, and we laughed because we all thought he was kidding, but he was deadly serious. He said, I made my family, my, my two kids and my wife, I made my family call me doctor for one year. I can't imagine his wife getting him somewhere and just slapping him upside the head. How's that going for you, doctor? Okay. He felt like he had earned it. I now know that one of the grown children calls her dad Doc. Interesting. Rabbi teacher. They want the best seats in the synagogues and at feast. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke 14. Keep your finger there in uh, Matthew 23. Luke 14, verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then you, then you begin, will leave with shame to take the lowest place. Verse 10. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when you are invited to, he invites you to come higher, he says to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be what? Humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is humble deference. This is why we should uh, stand up when uh, someone enters the room. Or we're at a restaurant and someone comes up to greet us and we're hungry and we should stand up and greet them. It's just a matter of respect. We should open the door for our girlfriends and for our wives. We should do that. We should honor those to whom honor is due. But the issue is pride. This may be the most important point of today, setting it up for the hope we have in this. So the issue is pride. The scribes sought to have the position of honor because of their pride. The scribes loved themselves rather than loving God, and the scribes sought honor from people rather than honor from God. You got that? John 12, 43 says, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What if we, what if, beginning with me, what if every one of us said, Lord, I want you to get the glory and honor in and through my life at all times? What would happen to us if we just made that commitment just for the rest of the day? So a Pharisee and a scribe, they expect recognition, they desire honor, and they were religious hypocrites. Religious hypocrites. Dr. Rogers used to say that if someone said, hey, I'm not, I'm not coming to church, there are too many hypocrites there. And they say, good, we can have one more. You know, the church is full of hypocrites. Who needs to be in church the most? Hypocrites. I are one. I am chief among all sinners. Me, Rob. Mark 12, 12 verse 40. I want you to turn with me to this. This is too important to miss. Turn to Mark 12. And those of you at home, if you would do this as well. Because this is so important, talking about religious hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, by the way, is hypocrisy. 
Look in verse 40 of Mark chapter 12 with me, if you will. I won't read all of the verse, but here's the most important part. Who devour widows' houses, and don't miss this next phrase, and for a pretense make long prayers. And for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Wow. A hypocrite is a pretender. A pretender. These scribes were hypocritical. They appeared to be spiritual, but they didn't really care for people. Jesus said they devoured widows' houses. How cruel is that? Most of the scribes knew that the greatest commandment is to love God and love people, but they failed to love the oppressed and the poor. They were supposed to shepherd people, but they were devouring, if you will, helpless people. Now, the scribes, they were not paid. It's interesting to me how scribes, writers, sounds a lot like a scab. I don't know why, but a scribe is a scribe. They were not paid for their teaching. They could receive gifts. And we know poor widows and powerless were vulnerable, so probably these scribes sought huge offerings from these widows. Or it could be that these scribes who had legal authority didn't give justice to poor widows. Craig Keener suggests that the charge of devouring widows' houses portrays them as worse than tax collectors. And you were scum if you were a tax collector. So how bad would it be for the scribes? That's why Jesus condemns the religious authorities for making his father's temple a robber's den. Woe to those who use religion as a means for making unjust money. Are y'all out there? Wow. Warren Wisby said this. For 19 centuries, the church has been telling the world to admit its sins, repent, and believe the gospel. In the twilight of the 20th century, the world is telling the church to face up to her sins, repent, and start being the true church of the gospel. Wow. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So dear ones, and I'm saying this to me, don't be a scribe or Pharisee, expecting recognition, desiring to be honored, Hypocritical in lifestyle. Let me give you just a few examples of hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do. Majoring on the minors. My tassels are longer than your tassels. Focusing on the outward more than the inward. Make a loud noise when I'm coming into church, into the temple. What you think, the head is better than the heart. Hypocrites' hearts are stone cold. Knowledge is better than compassion. And a, and a hypocrite always chooses process over people. There has to be process, but process over people. When Leonardo da Vinci was working on his, uh, last, on his great painting, The Last Supper, he asked for a young man by the name of Petri Bandinelli to sit for the character of Jesus. Over the next 25 years, da Vinci continued his great work until all he had left was the face of who? Judas. After searching for some time, he noticed a man in the streets and asked him to be his model. The shoulders were bent forward and he had a cold, hard, evil look. Just the man da Vinci was looking for. When this man came in, into the studio, he looked around and a sad look of recognition came over him. He said... 
Maestro, I was in this studio 25 years ago. I sat for Christ. Wow. I read somewhere, I don't know why this has tickled me, but I read somewhere, because you're going to think about this for the next few weeks, I think. I read somewhere that when they design hotel lobbies, they often put large mirrors in the lobby. Do you know why? Because people complain less about slow elevators when they're busy looking at themselves. <laughs> Boom, huh? I have a couple of friends that are uh, not here today, I don't think, but anyway, uh, that uh, I say they never, ever pass a mirror. <laughs> and these are guys. That's kind of weird, isn't it? They never, ever pass a mirror. They love mirrors. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about taking all the mirrors out of our house. I mean, we just need to get rid of them. It's so important. We all get caught up in our own reflection, do we not? We all want to be seen, to be important, to be valuable. But that desire is important, that's important, can make it that our Christianity, our walk with Jesus gets warped. And if we're not careful, our faith can be deformed by the very traps that snared the religious and righteous of the Pharisees. The first trap we should watch for, and this is hard, the first trap we should watch for is that looking at the church as a place where others, where others should change. If the enemy ever puts this thought in your head at Crossroads or anywhere else where you go, and someone walks in the room, you either know them or you don't know them, it doesn't matter, but your first thought is, what are they doing here? You just need to confess it as sin and give it to the Lord. What are they doing here? Jesus said that the Pharisees were prone to, in Matthew 23, verse 4 there, tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. If an ox fell in the ditch on the Sabbath, the Pharisees and scribes and the hypocrites would walk right by. Back in the Middle Ages, there was a a Danish king who ruled over England. As often was the case for kings of that era, there were lackeys in his court who would praise and the king talking about his greatness, his power, and invincibility incessantly. Oh, great king, oh, great king. This king finally became tired of hearing all this flattery, and so he held a special event. He gathered uh, his court officials together And they had a processional in which his throne was carried down to the seashore where he sat for a few minutes watching the surf. As he saw the tide begin to come in and the waves begin to approach his throne, he commanded in a loud voice for the waves not to come in. No matter how forcefully he ordered the tide not to come, his order was not obeyed. Soon the waves lapped around his throne. One historian records that from that day on, the king never wore his crown again. Instead, he hung it on a statue of the crucified Christ. Here's the bottom line, friends, today. Now, I want you to leave with this more than anything else. The glory belongs to Jesus, not us. The glory belongs to Jesus, not us. A Pharisee and a scribe expect recognition, they desire honor, and they were also religious hypocrites. Before the invitation today, I want to leave you with this. No matter our fears, no matter our failures, 
No matter our temptations, no matter our trials, no matter what our flesh says, no matter what Satan says, Romans 8.1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So dear sinner, lift your head. Jesus loves you. If you surrendered your heart to him, there's now therefore no condemnation for you. Hopefully that touched some of you, but that was really for me. Father, I pray today as we move now to the time of invitation, I feel like I've just stumbled through this a bit, Lord, but I pray that it's taken seed in the hearts of of many, many in the room and in the building and watching online. Father, help me to live in such a way that I can give you the glory. Now, as we move toward the time of invitation, if you're here and you never trusted Jesus Christ to save you, you can rest in the assurance that you're not saved by acting. You're not saved by doing. You're saved, you are saved by being a new creature in Christ. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, come to Jesus right now. If you're watching online, don't click off. Stay with us. If you're in this room, top of the balcony, top of the choir loft, Jesus, I need you. Tell him that. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I cannot save myself. Tell him that. And right now, today, May 23rd, 2021, I confess my sin. Tell him that. As an affront to a holy God. Please forgive me. You paid for my sin, for my hypocrisy at Calvary. Tell him that. And right now, I don't understand everything about you, Jesus, but I know that I need you. Tell him that. Come into my life, save me, change me, make me who you want me to be. That's the attitude of your heart today, dear friend. We stand and sing in just a moment. We'll have men down front and men out in the lobby, whatever you're most comfortable with, to receive you and rejoice with you over your decision to trust Jesus. If you're watching online, you can call 901-309-7777. If you get a voicemail, leave a message. Someone will call you back real soon. Or maybe you'd say, hey, Rob, you went too fast. I need Jesus. Come. When we stand and sing, You'll be the first one out. We say this all the time. If you're in the middle of a pew, if you're in the middle of an aisle, and you think what's hard, people will be more than happy to move for you, for you to trust and obey. And as always, the altar's open. You want to come, kneel, you want to come stand, whatever you want to do, you come. I know we have several in the room today that have prayed about church membership. We want you to be a part of our family our imperfect family. It would be a blessing to us and we know it would be a blessing to you. And God would get the glory if you were to come today and say, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus. My family is a follower of Jesus. We want to be a part of the Crossroads family. The doors of our hearts and of our church swing open. Some of you right now are battling that decision, all these decisions, next time, next time, later, later. Would you just trust and obey? 
Whatever Jesus calls you to do today, do it. Father, I pray you'd move in and out of every pew, in and out of every corner of this building. Lord, over the internet, convict of sin and righteousness. Help folks to take that step towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing. Who'll be the first to come today? Just us.